How many of you ever have unexpected guests at Christmas? How many of you are the cousin Eddie of your family? Don't raise your hand, by the way. That's not what I'm looking for this morning. We all have them. You know, the scary thought is maybe we are the cousin Eddies of our family. You ever think about that? I guess not. Only I thought about that. But the unexpected guest. So why would I bring that up on this day particularly is when the series called The Journey. Well, we've been looking at ordinary people who are on the quest of faith. So we've been talking about people like Sarah and Aaron and Naomi and Jonah, you know, different individuals that those of you that are maybe a little more familiar with the Bible, you're quite, uh, you know, rehearsed in their story. You understand the background. And yet today we're going to have a look at one particular individual that comes into the story in a rather unexpected way. It's not somebody that we'd expect to be there. So we want to have a look at the story and her particular story. Her name is Rahab, and she's not someone who you would ordinarily assume would be caught up in this big picture called the journey, and she's not a person that we would expect God to put into those that are celebrated as members of faith. So we're going to go to Joshua 6. So this morning, if you need a Bible, you raise your hand real, real high. Our ushers are going to take care of you. If you're in the video cafe, there should be some Bibles there. If you're in the chapel, welcome those of you in our chapel today. You should be able to have Bibles handed out to you as well. And you can use the Bible for the duration of our service and then leave it there on the seat when we're finished this morning. So turn over to Joshua chapter 6, because this is where we're going to actually pick up the story of Rahab. And a little bit like Cousin Eddie, she appears in the biblical narrative in a way that maybe we aren't expecting her to. And she also makes her way into some very, very profound statements about the faith that she proclaims. Now, let me give you context. If you're turning there, you can go to Joshua chapter 6, and then in a few moments we're going to read one of the sort of anchor texts out of this chapter for us. But to understand what's happening here, Israel is now under the leadership of Joshua. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. They're about to enter into the Promised Land. An entire generation has already passed away. There were 12 spies that had gone in, came back, can't give an unfaithful report. God said, I'm going to let you wander in the wilderness. We're going to bring a brand new generation into the Promised Land. So here we are, and it's the new generation on the edge of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is in flood stage. We know that it's going to be difficult for them to cross. God's going to perform some miracles. Joshua now assumes the leadership, and in his leadership mandate, he does something very, very different. He knows that not only is the Jordan River standing in the way, looming on the horizon is the city of Jericho. It is a walled city, seemingly impenetrable, barred gates, and they know that Israel knows that between them and their opportunity stands an incredible obstacle. And that's true for us. If you think about your life, often between an opportunity that God has for us and embracing the opportunity, there are incredible obstacles. And we're going to have a look at how all of this comes into play today, particularly how Joshua handles it. So let me tell you the story from Joshua's perspective. Joshua realizes he's got to be very strategic. So he sends, the Bible says that he sends out two spies to go spy out the land and particularly spy out Jericho. Now, have you ever wondered why he sent two spies and he was originally part of a 12-spy troop? I think Joshua learned something from Moses. Don't send a committee to do what two very specialized people can handle to do for you. That makes sense, doesn't it? Committees will mess it up, and that's what happened with the previous generation. The 10 came back with an unfaithful report. So he sends out the two spies and gives them a mandate. You need to go in and spy out the land. So the two spies cross the Jordan River. They make their way to Jericho, and they immediately, <coughs> excuse me, they immediately seek refuge in the one place that would be welcoming to strangers. 
Rahab's. Now it's Rahab's Inn. It was a home that was built into the security wall surrounding Jericho. That was very common at this point in human history. Rahab was a prostitute, and her home would have been frequented by numerous travelers coming into the city of Jericho, seeking shelter and maybe just a little bit more. Now it's PG, so I'm not going to go there. But that's why they would have dropped by Rahab's house. Why did the two Israelite spies choose to stop at the home of a prostitute? Have you ever thought about that? Two of us, thank you, whoever said yes. Two of us have ever thought about that. It makes you wonder, why would God have these guys stop at the home of a prostitute? Now, while the choice made by these spies seems really strange to us, it was very strategic on their part. Let me explain why. For them, traveling as foreigners, outsiders to the city of Jericho, they would have been immediately recognized by the people of the city. But it would not be unusual for people who are traveling or tradesmen, people that would be moving in to sell their wares, for them to come into the city. And rather than stay in the public square, which could actually be... um, jeopardize their safety at night, it would be safer for them, and it was common for the prostitute to offer not only some physical amenities, but also some sleeping arrangements for them, if you understand where that goes. And so they could go over, have a meal, and sleep, and be safe, and then carry on, do their business, and take off the next day or whenever they were leaving. So the choice for these two Israelite spies become very, very strategic, because nobody would suspect anything of these two strangers. Nobody would question why they were spending a night at the prostitute's house or why they would spend a couple of days there. Nobody would wonder about the nature of their visit or their purpose, and everybody would go on with their business. But for the Israelite spies, they knew that this was the perfect camouflage. They could get into the city of Jericho and ask questions without raising suspicion. In fact, staying at Rahab's place, they would be able to trade information. They could get the latest gossip. They could hear the hearsay. They could even procure information, barter for it at a price if necessary. So they went. What was most optimum to them to get into that city of Jericho happened to be Rahab, the prostitute's house. Well, the arrival of the spies had not gone unnoticed by the king. The king detached, sent a detachment of his SWAT, elite SWAT team over to Rahab's house, and they questioned Rahab about the presence of these two guests. They wanted the spies turned over, and Rahab acted innocent as to the nature of the men's activity in the city, and then she deceives the king's men, and she said, I don't know where they are, but they're not here anymore, and she tells tells these uh, king's men, if you leave now immediately, you can go after them, and you'll probably catch up with them. So deceived, they take off, and they begin to chase these phantoms that are not on their way anywhere. Once the men are gone, Rahab makes her way up to the roof. And under the cover of darkness, she begins to talk with these two spies. This is where the story takes a very intriguing twist. Before the spies will slip away and go back and report to Joshua, it's in this last conversation that Rahab will make a startling and unexpected confession. This was a woman plying her trade But in the narrative of Scripture, God gives us her story, this unexpected visitor who's about to show us something about faith in an extraordinary way. So Rahab begins her conversation, and she starts to tell the Israelite spies, if you look carefully, we don't have time to read it, you can read it later today if you'd like, 
But she confesses this to the, the spies. She goes, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She makes a declaration. I know that God's given you the land. She goes, we have heard all that God has done for you back in Egypt and all the way on your travels, all the way through to this land here. So they already recognize not only who God is, but also what God is doing for the people of Israel. And then she goes on and she adds this, our hearts have melted in fear and everyone has lost courage. So she's revealing everything about the condition and the state of safety. I mean, her act was treasonous in most regards. And yet God shows us something about what's taking place in the heart of this woman because her declaration was not merely to sell out her country. She was aligning herself with what God was doing in a much greater way than she ever imagined was possible. And here comes her ultimate confession. And she tells the spies, she goes, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. She confesses to these two men. She goes, even I know that your God, he's the only God, the only true God. I mean, this is a city that's filled with idolatry, filled with all kinds of worship and sacrifices. And she tells these two men, I know that your God alone is the only true God. He's God of heaven and he's God of earth. And so she barters with these guys. And she goes, I'm asking you, would you ask God to have mercy on me? And would he have mercy on me and my family? And when you come to take over this land and this city, would you spare the lives of our family? Now, we don't have time to unpack all of this. There's so much truth in here. But I want you to get a little bit of a glimpse of this woman's, the magnitude of this woman's faith. She didn't question whether Israel was going to be successful. She declared, you are going to be victorious. And the basis of your victory is not based upon your strength and ability. We have already heard about your God, His miracles, His power, and His presence. He's coming, and I want to be a part of the picture. And so she gets them to bind an oath, and they bind an oath. So they pledge on an oath to her. They go, you put a scarlet cord in your window, and when we come back, we will recognize the room where the cord is. And if you and your family, but this is the condition, you have to be in this place. If you and your family are in this place, then we will spare you. We'll recognize the cord, and we will spare all of you. Now, again, I just had to stop and think through the story because often we just read it. She had no idea when they were coming back. She had no idea how long it was going to take them to go back and report to Joshua. Nor did she know how they were going to make their plans for the invasion of the land and to approach the city. Can you imagine Every day, making sure the scarlet cord is hung from the window. Every day, telling your family, don't drift too far from this house. Because the faith in her heart was so strong that the pledge that she had made that God will spare my life. I know what he's done for others. I know what God is going to do for me. That's incredible faith. So we can go into your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6 right now, verse 25. And here's our key text this morning. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and with all who belonged to her because she hid the the men that Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. That's what makes Rahab's appearance in the cast of the journey so unexpected. She was so far from ordinary in most regards. And with all kinds of numerous potential reasons to disqualify her from being a woman of faith, The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and over James chapter 2 that this woman, in spite of her past, 
rose to an elevated status in the eyes of God, and her declaration of faith earned her a right not only to find a place to live among the people of Israel, but to be a person of extraordinary faith and somebody that we want to look at in our story called The Journey Today. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, Doug, really, what am am I going to learn from a prostitute? Well, there's some things to learn, but I'm not going to share those with you here. But about spiritual values, what am I going to learn? There are great insights that we can capture from this woman's story. So I want you to pull out your notes this morning. There are things that I've learned as I've gone through this, and I want to share them with you because I think they're really applicable to both of our lives. So here's what I want you to write down. Number one, when I think of Rahab, here's what I think about. My personal story is not hidden from God. My personal story is not hidden from God. We go to great lengths to put on external appearances that other people will make assumptions about us that are not necessarily true to the individual that is within. We put on the errors. We put on the external. And yet people really don't see our heart. But here's what I discovered. Our story, my personal story, is not hidden from God. Look what it says in Hebrews 4.13. It says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. No one escapes the notice of God. That's very, very important for us today because we often believe that we can sort of navigate our way through life and we can stay below the radar. Nobody sees, nobody knows. Nobody knows the dark secrets of my life. Nobody knows the high points of my life. And we think nobody knows, but the Bible tells us that God sees our personal story. This is significant because when you look at Rahab, she had quite a story. She had quite a story that God was able to see and understand. Rahab was not a part of God's covenant community. She wasn't on the east side of the Jordan River looking forward to entering the promised land. She was on the other side of the tracks. She was one of the ones that most people knew had already been judged by God because of their disobedience. She was among the assigned to pay the price of judgment for their failure to trust God. And yet she finds her way into Scripture because of her faith. Now, add into the fact that she's not even a part of God's community, throw in the mix her profession, her occupation. She's a prostitute. That's not in the top 10 employment opportunities that most people in school are thinking of on career day. You know, people are going, I think I'll be a lawyer. I'm going to be an educator. I think I'm going to be an engineer. I think I'll be a business entrepreneur. And then you get Rahab. She goes, you know, I think I'm going to be self-employed. I'm going to run a B&B. Everybody goes, oh, that's cool. You're going to run a bed and breakfast. No, a brothel and a breakfast. And it's kind of not what you expect from somebody. Certainly not what you would expect from somebody that would be listed in God's record of incredible faith. The fact that she's known as a prostitute, I don't know if you realize this, But if you were to look at your Bibles, many of our Bibles, there's a little, either a little asterisk or there'll be a a footnote indicator by the word prostitute. And some have either substituted the word innkeeper and then placed prostitute down in the margin somewhere, or you have the word prostitute and then the little footnote takes you to the word innkeeper. Well, why did they do that? Because some of the biblical historians actually wrestle with the word prostitute. And they go, I don't know if it really means a prostitute. Now, in fairness to them, in the Hebrew, you could take the word and you could translate it two ways. Remember, in context of culture, many of the prostitutes did offer hospitality services, a place to sleep. And so it could have been looked upon as an innkeeper. So some biblical historians have tried to sort of downplay her role. But let me remind you, when you look at the narrative of Scripture in the whole, God never covered up her past. 
In fact, God was very clear about the fact she was a prostitute. Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 11, James chapter 2, all report Rahab the prostitute. And if you're questioning the Hebrew interpretation when you hit the Greek, Greek interpretation of the word takes you into the word perneo, which is there's no question it's into the word pornography or prostitution. And so God was not trying to cover up her past. In fact, Rahab, her personal story was not hidden from God. God knew exactly who she was. And here's the other beautiful part. When I look at Rahab on this quest of faith, she never tried to hide her story from God. And God never expected her to change her story before she came to faith. That's powerful because we often try to fix our past in order to appease God, and God doesn't expect us to try to appease Him. God expects us to simply accept by faith who He is and what He's done for us. So here's Rahab, this woman who teaches us powerful insights that our stories aren't hidden from God. Did you know that there is a little bit of Rahab in all of us? You have a little bit of Rahab. I have a little bit of Rahab. You're going, no, 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 no. I'm not a prostitute. I can tell you that for sure, Doug. I know my occupation. Now think about it. Paul would actually write to the Corinthian believers, and he would remind them that there's just a little bit of Rahab in all of us. Some of us, we were abusers. We were cheaters. We were adulterers. We were sexually immoral. We were liars, thieves, drunkards, greedy. He, he enumerates this list of sins because the Bible reminds all of us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even if we try to hide our personal story from other people, God just levels the playing ground and he goes, hey, by the way, all of you have a little bit of Rahab in you and you can't hide your story from me. Look what it says in Psalm 33, 13 to 15. Even though we try to hide it from people, Psalm 33 says this, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything that they do. God sees our story just like he saw Rahab's story. And even though he knew what she did, he didn't expect her to change before she came to this profession of faith. God knew who you were and he knows who you are and he knows me. He doesn't expect us to change in order to embrace faith but he offers us faith as a way forward to a better future. Think about Jesus, the woman at the well. John chapter 4, he has a conversation with her. And in the course of the conversation, she begins to realize, this man knows so much about my life. And he begins to reveal things about her that she just couldn't possibly comprehend that anybody else could know. And then she understood, this just might be the Messiah. She runs off to her community and she says, you've got to come back and see. I have found somebody who knows my story. Could this be the Messiah? And the best part of it was she never felt judged by Jesus. She only recognized that he already knew my story. There's nothing else to hide. I don't need to. Look what it says in Psalm 139, verses 1 to 3. The psalmist cries out. He goes, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. I take great comfort that just like Rahab, God knows my personal story. And I learned that from her. But I also learned this, and I want you to write this one down. My personal story doesn't disqualify me from being accepted by God. 
My personal story doesn't disqualify me from being accepted by God. Rahab's scorecard had three strikes against her. She was a Canaanite woman, not an Israelite or a descendant of Abraham. She was a woman. She was constrained by all the cultural limitations of the ancient Near East. They were not considered. They were considered secondary within their own society. So here she was struggling through that. And add on top of that, she was a prostitute. Yeah, three strikes. In the middle of this, there is a remarkable insight into this woman's story. One of the passages, just write it into your notes. I love this passage. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews records this legendary group of people, individuals that are given tribute for being people on the quest of faith. Did you know that identified within this Hebrews 11 list, there are two names. Both names are women. One is the name Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And God says she was a godly or a virtuous woman. And I love the second name. It's Rahab. Rahab the prostitute is listed. God was not embarrassed by her past. God embraced her, forgave her, and invited her into a brand new future. Friends, I need you to hear this. We have so many voices inside our head that try to disqualify us, try to convince us that God could never love us, never accept us. Every time we make a mistake, every time we fail, every fault we can see in ourselves, we beat ourselves up and there are these voices that just convince us, how could God love me? How could God bless me? How could God forgive me? And we listen to the voice rather than listening to the one who has forgiven us. And I'm reminded by Rahab's story that even though my story maybe has some faults and flaws and cracks and failure in it, it doesn't disqualify me, nor does yours disqualify you from being accepted by God. She was esteemed as a woman with incredible faith. Here's the thing about God. God forgives unconditionally, and He chooses to forget. When we come to faith, and we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we recognize that God has given us the forgiveness of our sins through His Son, Jesus Christ, God chooses to forgive you unconditionally, and He chooses to forget your past. But here's what I learned about human nature, and I've been around long enough now to pick this up. We're not quite God, are we? We choose to forgive conditionally, and we often choose to remember people's failures. So I got thinking about Rahab's story, and let's put it into very, very practical ways. You know, when Rahab rescued the two spies, and the biblical narrative said that Joshua saved her family, and they were kept outside of the camp, and then they were brought in and welcomed within the Israelite community, and now she lives among them. Her name is infamous today. I have to believe that even though all of that was taking place, I know human nature just well enough that I don't I have to wonder if there weren't moments for Rahab where she felt the sting of her past, even though she was accepted and forgiven by God. That when she was brought into the camp of Israelites, when she would go through the marketplace and people would all cheer and they'd go, hey, there's Rahab. She's the one that rescued our two spies. You know, wait, oh, give it up for Rahab. But I know human nature well enough that in the shadows, the whispers would be somewhat different. Because we forgive conditionally and we choose to remember. And I know people well enough that people probably with Rahab, they go, you know, she's, she's not really an Israelite. She's a Canaanite. She doesn't belong here. Yeah, I know she did some great things for us, but, but she's not one of us. 
And as she goes through the marketplace or her kids are playing or her family's around her, others would be whispering, you know what she did, right? You know she's a prostitute. I mean, none of us would ever do that. And Rahab would live her life. In fact, the Bible doesn't hide the reality that and the biblical authors would carry on the fact that she was a prostitute by profession before she came to Christ, before she came to faith in God. And here we find that human nature can powerfully play into how we embrace our acceptance by God. I can stand in front of you this morning and remind you that your personal story does not disqualify you from being accepted by God. But here's what I know to be true. What people say to you and about you can overwhelm and sometimes cripple your belief in that statement. That you will allow their comments to haunt you And so this morning, I want to remind all of us, how we choose to speak about people can determine whether or not they feel accepted or disqualified by God. We have the power in our speech to make Rahab feel welcome or unaccepted within our midst. Proverbs, look, it's in your notes. Proverbs 15, verse 4. It says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. So just like Rahab probably had those moments where she had to live through the whispers in the shadow and the side street conversations, I pray that for all of us who understand that our story, that we've been forgiven by God, we have come to faith and trust in Him, that we will never be people that would ever use our lips to disqualify anyone else. We don't have the right to remember someone else's past, do we? And we don't have the right to judge their past because there's that little bit of Rahab in every one of us. So it's interesting that the Bible would remind us who Rahab was. Rahab the prostitute. We never refer to people by profession, do we? We don't go around and go, hey, there's Bill the engineer. There's Mary the teacher. There's Doug the preacher. But the Bible picks up her profession. There's Rahab the prostitute. Can you imagine if we actually called people by their faults and their failures, oh, there's Doug the liar. There's Doug the cheater. There's Doug the deceiver. Every point of failure in our life, how defeating would that be for us? But I love the story of Rahab because even though her story was out there in the open, it didn't disqualify her from being accepted by God, nor does yours disqualify you from being accepted by God? So friends, if you're part of our family, if if you're visiting today, just hear my heart because I'm challenging my own church community right now. May we never whisper in the hallways of our church and in our homes. May our children never hear us speak ill of any other person. May we build them up because what God has forgiven, let us then speak life, not death. Because we know our words have power. And I want our church community to be known as a place that when people walk in, they feel life. Wouldn't you love that? And when you walk in, people just feel life because they know that people are going to speak positive things about them. They're going to build them up and tell them, you are loved by God. You are blessed by God. You are forgiven by God. Your past does not define who you are. Jesus has already defined who you are. You are accepted in our community. You are accepted in our midst. And if you have ever felt unloved or unaccepted here, then on behalf of our entire church, I apologize to you because that is never, ever anyone's intent in this room. Amen? Amen. All right. That's how we're going to live it out together. So Rahab is welcome here. 
We even find Jesus. I'll tell you, Jesus struggled with this stuff. He was invited out for dinner one night, and he had a religious leader that wanted to hang out with him. Well, this guy was really, he was religious, but he was looking for a way to kind of crack and break Jesus down. So he invites him over for dinner. He says, why don't you come and hang out at my place? I have a few questions for you. And in Luke chapter 7, it's right there in your notes, Jesus said, sure, I'll come for dinner. So he goes to this Pharisee's house to have dinner with him. And while they're reclining at the table, the Bible says that a woman enters the house and she's just sobbing uncontrollably, tears falling from her cheeks, and they're landing on the feet of Jesus. She takes her hair and she wipes his feet, and then she opens up a jar of expensive perfume and anoints his feet. This was a woman whom Jesus had helped to understand that her story did not disqualify her from being accepted by God. Go and sin no more. And so here she is beautifully anointing the feet of Jesus and just saying, thank you. Thank you for what you have done for me. Even though you know my story, you love me regardless. But the man who had invited Jesus in his religious position in life, look what he does, and it's there in your notes, verse 39 of chapter 7. He thinks about Jesus, and he goes, If this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. There it is. If this man were a prophet, he disqualifies Jesus immediately. And if he knew anything about human nature, he'd already know this woman is a sinner. What did he do? He immediately was thinking, mumbling to himself, speaking words of death, constraining her to the life that was, not to the life that is. And friends, that's how we change. We make sure that when we speak of people, yes, we may know their past. Like Rahab, we may know what she did but we celebrate who she is and what God has done for her. That's why Paul told his best friend, Timothy. He said, Timothy, hey, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst one. And he was so grateful for being saved. Well, let's go back into our notes real quickly this morning. So not only is my story not hidden from God, not only does my story, my personal story, not disqualify me from being accepted by God, but here's the last thought. My personal story is still being written. I love that in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, the last line of our key text this morning, it said these words, and Rahab lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, the author may have intended to say that because of what she did, she was embraced by the community of Israel and she was living in the camp of Israel and among the people, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit had superintended the recording of the Scripture for a much greater purpose, that Rahab lives on in infamy today because of what she did. That she dared to believe that God was God of heaven and earth. That she dared to believe that she could be a part of a community of faith if she trusted in God. And that she could live the rest of her life for God. And because of that, she lives on in infamy. She's famous. And when you look at her life, the impact of her life was far greater than what she could have ever imagined. She thought she was merely being rescued from God's judgment over those who were the disobedient ones, and yet her life echoes now throughout the course of human history. Look in your notes at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 6. This is where Matthew records the lineage, the ancestral lineage of Jesus. And look what Matthew says. He goes, uh, Salmon is the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. 
Rahab appears in the ancestral lineage of Jesus. She was the great-great-grandmother of David, a little boy who would pick up five stones and take on a giant, a king who would lead his people into incredible peace and prosperity, a man who would be called a man after God's own heart and who we would embody and we would read his psalms and guide our lives by the words that he would speak, had a great-great-grandmother who had once been a prostitute but refused to be defined by her past, chose to embrace her future and allowed God to continue to write the story of her life. Friend, don't miss this. When you come to faith in Christ, God doesn't merely forgive your past. God doesn't merely accept you into his family. He begins to write a brand new story into your life and your story will echo through eternity. What you do for God, you may never know the full impact of it. Rahab had no idea that God would honor her in the ancestral lineage of Jesus. All she did was faithfully follow God, listen to his voice. That's why every day, every day, your story is still being written. Some of you are dealing with difficult circumstances. Some of you are in incredible, challenging work relationships, marriage relationships, health issues, and you go, does it really matter? Is it going to make any difference if I stay faithful to God? Yeah, it will. It really will. Because God's taking your story. And how will you know that you're not the great-great-grandmother, the great-great-grandfather? How will you not know that you're the aunt or the uncle, the mom or the dad, the friend or the co-worker of someone whom God will raise up for his purpose in a powerful display? And all because your faith was strong enough to say, God, keep writing your story. Keep writing your story in spite of what I go through. So Rahab shows me that our story is not hidden from God, never disqualifies me, and it's still being written. In your notes, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I love what Paul says to the church. He said, I want you to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That means not until just the day my physical life ends, God is going to carry on the work that he has started in me, he has started in you, until the day that Jesus Christ is ruling supreme, that the enemy has been locked away, secured underneath his feet, and he triumphs in his brand new kingdom. God is perfecting his work. He's using my life, he's using your life. Your story is still being written. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager, a youth, a senior, retired, still working, our stories are God's handiwork for the purpose of his kingdom. What a great, great promise. So how amazing is the love of God? So I want to pray for us this morning, and then I'm going to ask you to do something. I have our worship team, and they're going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. In fact, would you do something? Would you stand? Over in the other venues, would you stand to your feet as well this morning? And we're going to just, together, we're going to sing the words of amazing love. And we're going to experience what God can do in and through our lives when we allow him to continue to write the story. But I believe for some of us this morning, what we need to do is allow God to see the wholeness of who we are. All of it. Just lay it out there before him. Not allow the enemy to disqualify us because of what we did. But simply by faith in Jesus Christ, just say, God, this is my life. This is my story. Some of you today, you need to say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time. You can do that, not through my words, through your own. You just say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, 
I receive him as my Lord and Savior, the forgiver of my sins. And that's it. You're part of his family. It's by faith. See, the work's already been done. You just have to receive it. So as we receive these words this morning, we sing this song. Let God use your story for his purpose. You're not Rahab, but you are who God created you to be with a past that God knew you would have so he could write the future that he wanted you to do for his kingdom's sake. So Father, this morning, that's what I pray, that you would take our past, forgive it under the blood of Jesus, help us embrace the wholeness of the forgiveness of our sins, and now allow you to write the future because you have called us into your kingdom of the Son, the one you love. You've given us faith, blessing, and encouragement. So may your amazing love lead us into our future. And because you are forsaken, you are Forgiven because you are forsaken, I'm accepted. You are condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing Amazing love. Amazing love. Doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. Doesn't matter what they conjure up out of your past. Even if you're Rahab the prostitute, the words fall to the ground because our Savior was lifted up. So this Christmas, the hope in our heart comes to us because of an unexpected guest in the journey. And I pray that you won't simply walk away and go, Isn't that a great story? But you'll walk away going, my story is a great story. And God is going to finish writing it. And I will serve him obediently every day of my life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, that's what we commit to you. I thank you for the men and the women in the room, even those maybe for the first time today that said yes to you, that we have this privilege of knowing that you love us unconditionally. You choose to forget our past. And you give us your spirit so that we can move into our future with your love and your presence and your power. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.